Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Today we're going to continue with our series, Greater, talking about Jesus being greater than. It's based on the book of Hebrews. Now, if you've heard our previous messages, uh, then you'll know what this series is about. If you haven't, then check out our website or check us on our YouTube uh, page with Riverside Church Online. You'll know from the previous messages that we, the author of this letter to the Hebrews is unknown, but the audience to whom it's written is very clear. It's written to Jewish believers. And these believers were going through a tough time. They're being persecuted by the Romans and other Gentile nations. But more than that, they'd been outcast from their own community, thrown out of the synagogue for their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jewish religious believers totally rejected Jesus. In fact, they crucified him. And so as we look at this book today, we're looking at a writer who is trying to encourage these believers to carry on believing in Jesus. The opening verses in chapter one really summarize the whole book. And I'm just going to read them to you now. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through the Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honour at the right hand of God, the majestic God in heaven. Now this letter could be described as an apologetic. Apologetic writing is to help people assess whether something is true. And there are many apologetic Christian books that have been written down the years. If you're looking to find out more about Christianity and about Jesus Christ, then there's one I would recommend to you. It's a modern book. It's easy to read. It's called The Case for Christ. And it's written by a guy called Lee Strobel. Now, he was an investigative journalist whose wife became a Christian. Uh, He was quite unhappy with that. And he set out to prove that Christianity was a myth based on lies. But during his research, his extensive research, he came to the conclusion that the case for Christ was proven and he turned his life over to Jesus. As we go into the book of Hebrews today, we're going to be looking at chapter 10. Throughout the book, various themes, as we've set out earlier in that first chapter, are repeated and built on and built on. And chapter 10 is a bit of a climax chapter where a number of those things come together. Now some of the areas that we're going to talk about today have been dealt with in more detail in previous messages and you can listen to those as I said on our website. So I'm not going to go into depths of things that have already been said but I will be looking at the new things that come out of chapter 10. 
So let's start with Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. But it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written about me in the scriptures. First Christ said you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels out the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. And as we've been learning over these past few weeks, the old sacrificial system was being replaced. It was a shadow of the sacrifice that God had always planned. The system wasn't permanently able to cleanse people from their sins or release them from their guilt. In fact, it had quite the opposite effect. It just reminded people of their failures year in, year out. And these sacrifices had to go on, they had to be done repeatedly. Simply put, animal sacrifices didn't cut it, they weren't good enough. What was needed was a better sacrifice, a superior sacrifice, to get the job done once and for all. And Jesus was willing to be that sacrifice. He came to obey God's will, that he might give himself up for sin. And God's purpose <coughs> was set out very clearly. The old system had to come to an end. There had to be a single perfect system, a sacrifice that would be there once and for all. Now Jesus' willingness to obey the Father is really important. There was no coercion here, there was no arm twisting. Jesus came willingly to die for us. And his sacrifice was built on both obedience to God and his love for us. And it's important that we understand that because what drove Jesus to the cross, what took him to the cross, was not only his willingness to obey the Father, but his love for you and for me. In a previous message, Simon used an illustration of a portable black TV that he wanted for Christmas and he got his TV, it was uh, great in its time, but you know it was a foreshadow of the kind of technology that we have today. Plasma technology has overtaken that and we now have high def and all kinds of different expressions of TV beyond probably anybody's wildest imaginations back then. The, the new is far superior to the old. And Jesus came in human form 
He was fully God and fully man. He came to be like us so that he could empathize with who we are, to identify with us. But he also came as a true representation of who God is. He shows us God's character, God's nature. He shows us that God is a God of love and grace, a God who cares. And so if you're looking to find God, a good place to start would be to look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus coming in human form was also central to God's plan for him to be sacrificed on our behalf. You see, there are consequences for our wrong choices, our wrong motivations, our wrong actions. There has to be a judgment, there has to be a punishment for the things that we've got wrong. And Jesus came to be that perfect sacrifice, to stand in our place, to take the punishment that we deserved. And he came willingly to fulfill God's perfect will. His sacrifice alone was going to be enough to cover all our sin, all our guilt, wash away the stain. And the punishment that we deserve, he took upon himself. Now we're coming up to July the 19th, which is supposedly Freedom Day, or maybe not. Uh, we're being urged to be cautious. And as Jonathan Van Tam said, and he's one of my heroes, don't kick the pants out of it. And I guess for some of us, the freedoms we have at the moment are enough. But for others, it hasn't gone nearly far enough. But whatever your attitude, or however you're going to approach July the 19th, there is another Freedom Day. There's a Freedom Day that comes to us if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we believe in him. On that Freedom Day, we find that we can be cleansed from guilt and from shame. The penalty of sin can be taken away from us. And we can sense that we are now forgiven. We can know that for sure and for certainty. Earlier this week, I was privileged to take a funeral for a, a, a wonderful lady. Now, she was a very private person and not much was known about her. But what was known about her was her faith in Jesus Christ. And it was great to know that although there was sadness in her passing from this life, there was a joy of knowing that she was alive in Christ and that she would live on for all eternity. As these verses tell us, God's perfect will for us, his good and perfect will is that we should become holy. And he was willing to allow Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that we could be made holy. Verses 11 to 18. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honour at God's right hand. There he awaits until his enemies are humbled and made footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to this. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when the sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer sacrifices. And we've heard in previous messages, haven't we, that the priests were forever offering sacrifices and offering. Day in, day out. It seems like it was never done. It seems like they were on a treadmill with no end. We've heard how Jesus is the perfect high priest more than any other before him. He mediated between God and us by offering himself the perfect sacrifice. One sinless life, fully human, fully God. A sacrifice so superior that it was no more than enough to cover the sins of all people for all time. And this is one of the climaxes that we read about in chapter 10 of Hebrews. The end of the old sacrificial system and the once and for all time sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, one of my favourite types of books are science fiction. In particular, I I like the the books that uh, deal with time travel. Uh, That's probably why I'm a fan of Doctor Who. And the ability to go backwards and forwards in time is quite fascinating, isn't it? To see what's gone before, to see what's coming up. And, you know, you've got to understand there's some rules there. You can't cross timelines. You mustn't alter the, the things in the past so it changes the future. And it's incredible that such things are imagined in the mind of people. And when we look at this once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that provided forgiveness for all people for all time, it is quite mind-blowing. You see, the Bible tells us we come to the Father through Jesus. So that tells us that the forgiveness of sins was not just for the generation that was alive when Jesus died upon the cross. His sacrifice was effective for all people for all time. Now think about that for a moment. What does that, what does that mean? What it means is that your sins of the past are forgiven. Your sins of today are forgiven. And the sins that you haven't yet committed are forgiven. So your past, present and future sins are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that means that Jesus Christ's forgiveness extended as far back as Adam and Eve. And it extends far into the future. In fact, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice, time travels from the beginning to the end of time. And that is just purely and utterly stunning. What grace, what love that God has for us, that he provided that sacrifice through Jesus Christ. There was and never will be a greater sacrifice. And as I've said, this sacrifice covers billions upon billions of people for all time across the whole world. And it was a sacrifice that was no, there's no need to repeat. When he'd made that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. And we remember his cry upon the cross as it's written in the Gospels. It is finished. It's done. It doesn't need to be done again. It's complete. It's perfectly done. No more sacrifices. My death has done it all. 
there's a film that I like. It's we uh, called Meeting Joe Black. It's about a, a person who is deaf who teams up with somebody, and there's a whole plot. But one of the lines in that film I, I like is it says, "There's only two certainties in life, and that's death and taxes." Well, for these Jewish Christians back then in the first century, not only were there death and taxes to contend with, but there was also persecution. They were being persecuted. And this letter is written to those um, believers to encourage them to keep going on. Because they'd begun to question in their hearts and in their minds as whether the cost that they were suffering was worth it. They were wondering whether following Jesus was worth it. And the writer wants them to see that, yes, it is worth it. That there are promises that God will keep and God will honour. And that he encourages them to hold on, to hold fast, not to let go, to keep believing. Now, this, I want a little bit of a challenge today because we have our Bibles and we, we read them. But I think people can fall into a number of camps. There are people who say, it's absolutely true, I believe every word of it. There are people that possibly fall into another category that says, well, I believe most of it is pretty well nearly all true. And maybe there are other people who say, well, yeah, it's the word of God, but I have, I have, I have a lot of doubts. And I'm just wondering which category you might fall, fall into today. Well, the challenge is we want to get a look at a verse and see how it pans out for you. If you look at Hebrews 10, 14, it says this. For that by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now on a good day I might read this verse as saying for that by that one offering he forever made good those who are being made holy. So just look around let's think now who would admit to being perfect. Now to understand this verse we have to talk about a thing called positional theology. Now I might have made that up but I'm pretty sure it's true. Simply put we have an immediate position or status when we come followers of Jesus Christ. When we accept the sacrifice that he's made for us. Our status changes from sinner to saint. It changes from being imperfect to perfect. Because through the sacrifice that Jesus made, in God's eyes, we become perfect. We become the perfect person that he always intended us to be. In Isaiah, it's written that although our sins may be as scarlet, they'll become white as snow. Therefore, our position is one of being perfect. Well, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he puts it in this way, he said, you are now seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God above all power and authority. And that means that, you know, we're sitting up there in the heavenly places with Jesus. I once heard a sermon and the, the guy who was preaching said, look, when life gets tough and the going gets really, really, really rough, I remember where I am seated. I am seated with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. And therefore, when things get really tough, I remind myself to look left. And I look into the eyes of the loving Heavenly Father who cares for me. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, this is your position. This is who you are. God now sees you as perfect. 
Now, of course, that might not be, probably isn't, and it's definitely true for me, it's not my day-to-day experience. And that's why the writer goes on to say, for those who are being made holy. You see, we're still a work in progress. We're still being changed day by day. We're still having our minds renewed so we think more like God thinks. We're having our hearts changed so that we feel more like God feels. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God is able to forget our imperfections and see us as we will be, as we were meant to be. Jesus Christ, our Saviour, has accomplished that for us on the cross. Now as we look at the rest of the chapter 10, I'm not going to go into it in quite the same amount of detail. Um, You can read the rest of the chapter for yourself, it's definitely worth reading. And I'm just going to uh, summarise the remaining verses. So if we look at uh, verses 19 to 22, it's another climax in this chapter. What the writer is saying is, look, through what Jesus has done, being our perfect high priest and opening up a way for us, mediating between us and God, he enables us now to enter into the very presence of God. We can go into the Holy of Holies and not just once a year. We can go in there any time we want. And the Father says, come to me, my perfect child. Come to me, you who have been cleansed you who have been made perfect, you who are pure. I no longer see your imperfections, but come and talk with me, and I will talk with you. Come and enjoy my presence. Trust in me, says our Father. I will complete the work that I've started in you. I will bring it to completion, so that on that day when you come to be with me, you will be perfect, you will be made new, you will be able to live with me forever and ever. You will be able to live with me in eternity, with Jesus, your friend and Lord, and with the Holy Spirit, your comforter and guide. And that's just simply amazing that we have this unlimited access to the Father. It's just absolutely amazing. And then if we look at verses 23 to 25, the writer is telling these Hebrew Christians, keep on going on, don't doubt, don't waver, hold firm to the promises that you have in Jesus Christ. God is holding on to you, you hold on to him. And trust here is the key. What God promises he will deliver. He's not false, he's not deceitful, he will come through for you in the right time. He has your best interest at heart in every and any circumstances, in every high, in every low. He is there for you. And the writer reminds them that, that to keep on going on is not something that they can do on their own, that they need the support of one another. They need the church community to encourage one another, to get alongside one another when when somebody's beginning to flag and and thinking about giving up and it's all too difficult we come alongside them and we help them and we support them and we love them and we care for them and it's essential that we do that because Jesus said that our love for one another is what marks us out as being different 
And just like us as individuals who are being transformed, because although we're perfect in God's eyes, there's still a transformation work to, to do, the church itself is also on a journey of being transformed. If you're looking for a church to join, then Riverside Church, I definitely recommend it. You'll find a loving community of people who are full of love and compassion and will want to help you. But equally, it's not a perfect place because it's full of people who are in transition, who have been transformed. And uh, I know that it's been said that you can look for the perfect church and, you know, when you join it, it stops being perfect. And I think that's true. So the writer says, keep on meeting together, keep encouraging one another, keep walking with one another through life's journey. And if we look at verses 26 to 31, the writer there comes now to some pretty stern warning. Because what he's saying is, don't go back to your old ways. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't go back to the sinful life in the way that you lived it before. Now this verse isn't talking about the fact that we've got to live absolutely perfect sinless lives. It's talking about an absolute deliberate decision to turn back, to, to turn away from Jesus. Now these Jewish, Jewish believers were probably looking at all the troubles that they were going through and they're really wondering whether it was worth it. They were looking back at their old life and thinking, wow, that, that felt so much better than the place I'm in now. And it was just like the Israelites when they were led out of Egypt by Moses. And they went out into the, the wilderness and things were okay. They were free. They were no longer slaves. But then the going got tough. And some of them started to look back at the days in Egypt as being, well, you know, it was better to be a slave than out here in the desert. And those people, when they doubted, God was not pleased with them. And God is not happy if we begin to turn back. His judgments awaits. And really, if you've experienced the love and grace and forgiveness of, of Jesus Christ, and then you turn your back on it, what a terrible thing that is. If you reject the forgiveness and the love and the grace that God's extended to you, what a terrible thing it will be to fall into the hands of the living God. And it doesn't bear thinking about. God says he comes with judgment and it starts with his people. But if we hold on and we keep going on with Jesus, then we will escape that judgment. And finally, as we look at verses 32 to 39, we must remember that these Jewish Christians would have been hated and rejected by their fellow Israelites, their fellow Jews. Their friends and families would have turned their backs on them. They would have been cast out of the synagogue. They would have been cast out of the community. They would have suffered a great deal of loss for Jesus. But when they first came to Jesus, they had experienced the freedom and the joy of the forgiveness of sin. And the writer says, remind yourself back to those days when you first gave your life to Jesus. Remember that first love that you had for him. And Jesus himself taught that if you get ridiculed, get persecuted, count it all joy. And what the writer is saying, look, go back to those times, remember that, and remember the joy of your salvation. And he encourages them to keep on trusting, 
to keep on accepting that God is for them, that there is a reward for them in due time, and that they would be with God forever. They would be with Jesus forever. And finally, the writer ends up in a very encouraging note. And he says, you know what? I know that you're not like those that turn away because you are the ones that are going to be saved because you are the ones that are going to hold on and stay firm. And I guess as we look at that and we think about how that works out for us in today's life, I guess we can look at the pandemic and we can think to ourselves, well, lots of things have changed. And maybe we've lost some of the habits and routines that kept us growing and going forward as a Christian. And maybe our absence from being encouraged by one another may be tempting for us to just fall away and go back to a life that perhaps we once knew. But the writer of the Hebrew says, don't do that. Keep on going on. Keep on believing. As we come and we look forward into the future, we, we need time to reassess where we are. Where am I with God? Where am I with Jesus? Am I listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in the Spirit? Am I seeking out what God's good and perfect will is for me? Well, it's for you to be holy, to be called to follow him. And maybe you need to, uh, as you reassess and we begin to emerge and things become a little bit more normal back at church, although I doubt whether it's going to be a big bang. Maybe we need to look around and see who's missing. Are there people that we need to get alongside? Are there people that we need to encourage? And my message to you today and the message of this book is, look, God's going to complete the work he started in you. He sees you already as the perfect person that he always meant you to be. Your sins, past, present and future, are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of this message, I just want us to take a moment to reflect on our relationship with Jesus. Do we still love him in the way that we first did? And maybe it's time now to just consciously invite him back into your life. Be honest. Be open. Be real. Confess your failings. And he's promised to come alongside and forgive us. Because Jesus' sacrifice covers our past, present and future sins. Receive the forgiveness and the peace that follows. Ask that the joy of your salvation be restored and that you'll again experience that first love of following Jesus. Know that you are accepted and that in the Father's eyes you're already perfect and the work he's doing in you is going forward. It will be finished. You are being made holy. And maybe just spend some time expressing thanks and praise for God for his unending love for you. So receive the peace and blessing of God today. Understand how he sees you. Sense his love embracing you. 
and in the stillness and the peace. Again, oh, be overflowing with his love. And may the Lord, joy of the Lord be your strength, not only for today, but in the days to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.